What's up, wrestling fans, trading card collectors? Welcome to another episode of Wrestling With Cards, the podcast. I'm your host, Zan Morning. You can check me out all over all social platforms at Zan Morning. Today we are back with another show answering some listener questions that were submitted to me. And shout out to everybody that listens to this show and everybody that sent me in questions. Greatly appreciated. If you would like to submit a question for a future show, send me a DM on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever platform. Let me know that what your question is for the show and then I can feature it on a future show and give you a shout out in the process. Before we jump into these questions though, let's talk about a few ways you can help support the show. Most importantly, the thing you can do is check out my, my YouTube channel, Wrestling With Cards. Same name as this. My channel features great information and entertainment about all things wrestling cards. So please head over to the YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button, and get ready for some great videos. Speaking of more wrestling card content, Worlds Collide, the podcast about wrestling cards featuring myself and Tony Vela getting together. We're always talking about all different kinds of topics within the wrestling card hobby. Subscribe, share, and let people know about that show as well. And lastly, links in the show notes to my Patreon, Spotify, again, social platforms, and there's links that you can buy me a coffee. I gotta stay caffeinated and I gotta stay awake to do these shows and keep them rolling out. James Williams has a question at Carl U-C-C-I-J-W on Twitter. Oof, that's a mouthful. Did sports slots stop taking in wrestling and UFC cards? I actually don't have an answer to this question because believe it or not, I actually stopped selling on sport lots. First off, I still think sport lots is a fantastic platform for buying cards. You can get deals on base cards, complete those sets that you've been working on, and sometimes you'll find some other great deals for flipping opportunities. That being said, I was mainly a seller on that platform, and I stopped selling for a few reasons. The biggest reason is the fees. Now I know people want to complain about eBay fees, but for me, Sport Lots was actually costing me more to operate on that than it was for me in the long run, once the math is all done, than it is to pay my store fee for eBay. I know Mike Summer from the Wax Pack Hero podcast has a ton of success selling on that platform. And after talking with him a bit, it seems like to really do well on the platform, you have to sell in volume. While I would from time to time, I was mainly selling an odd card here, an occasional 20 plus card order there. But all that being said, I actually was making more money off selling the same cards on eBay for 99 cents with 55 cents shipping after fees than I did selling the stuff on Sport Lots. I know that's hard to believe, but I've got the math to prove it. Now keep in mind when using Sport Lots, it's completely free to use. You just have a selling fee when something sells, but with my eBay store, I do have to pay a monthly fee no matter what my sales volume is like. I'm also not a big fan of their software. Again, I understand it's free to use, which is great for people, but I also feel it's the online selling platform equivalent of a musty old like flea market or one of those dungeon style card shows where everybody's set up and smells like mothballs, everything's vintage and people are all over the age of 50. On top of that, eyeballs just aren't there from what I could see. Nobody can deny that eBay is the place for collectibles, trading cards, and all kinds of other cool stuff. Also something interesting I noticed when I pulled all of my Sport Lots inventory, I plan to eventually list it all on eBay. I did get a few of those items listed, and what's funny is, a few of them sold immediately, and some have sold since then. So I could sell some of the same cards listed at $0.99 cents with $0.55 cents shipping on eBay, 
but I couldn't sell those exact same cards on sport lots for 18 cents with 99 cent shipping. Just some food for thought there. At Sakari Smithwick on IG. Chef Sakari Smithwick. Thoughts on the Rock 1997 Bendem card. Great timing for this question. A lot of people on social media have been talking about this card recently. I'm going to tackle this question from a few different angles. First, the card itself. I think it looks really cool, and I think there are a lot of interesting features of the card that make it interesting. You guys know I love the oddball stuff, and this fits into that category. It's also from 1997, so still kind of considered a rookie card if you're one of those rookie card people. And I say that because 1997 is within the same year as the trivia card, the Panini stickers that you guys have all seen. This card is more of a rare, hard-to-find item, as many of them, I'm sure, got thrown away with the packaging when kids were just ripping them open, trying to get that Rock Bendem wrestling figure out so they could have those matches in their ring. These are going to be hard to grade due to the fact that you have to hand cut them out of the back of the cardboard, and we don't exactly know how PSA will grade these. They are grading them because there's a slab or two that has surfaced, but how the grading companies compare these to regular cards as far as like, you know, corner, surface, uh, centering, all that stuff, not really sure or compared to other hand-cut or perforated cards. Another thing I want to touch on with this card is, going back to the Panini sticker and the Cardinal trivia card that we've all seen, here we have another card that people are considering a rookie card. And just another reason why I continue to preach over and over and over again to not try to pick one of these rookie cards. Just get them all, create your rock rookie card, mutual fun, be done with it, and then flex all of them all over social media, regardless of the grade or condition. At Curly Wrestling Cards on IG. Doink the Clown Auto? Okay, so this is an audio form, obviously. He sent me a picture of a Doink the Clown Auto that we're going to touch on. Uh, this is something that I've been w wondering about for a while now. I think most people searching for any Doink the Clown autos are searching for the ones of the Matt Bourne version of Doink. Nothing against Steve Kern because I really dig the fabulous ones and what they did for tag team wrestling history. And nothing against Ray Apollo or Alabama Doink or any other person that played Doink. But due to the auto being signed as the gimmick name and not the wrestler name, so it says Doink instead of Steve Kern or Doink instead of Matt Bourne, you really don't have any way to authenticate who signed this. But according to this card, somehow BGS was able to determine that Steve Kern signed this specific card. I don't know how they were able to determine that, which makes me question all of the doink autograph stuff that's floating around and kind of makes me want to just steer clear of it altogether. So if you're out there looking for a doink auto, just make sure you're doing your research before making your purchase so you know what you're getting. Todd Bailey at tbailey82 on Twitter. What is your top five cards with a $50 budget per card to buy that has the chance to 10x? This is a question I really had to think about. For this exercise, I'm only going to be looking at raw cards, since graded cards are still a newer thing, so to speak, in professional wrestling cards. I mean, they aren't, but as far as like liquidity and track record and price history, most of them overall are still in their infancy. So instead of answering the question directly by picking specific cards and saying, buy this, don't buy that, I'm going to give a framework of what I would do, and hopefully this will help you all out there. 
you know, there's that whole quote, if you give a man a fish, you'll feed him for the day. If you teach him how to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. That's basically my entire goal with answering this question and honestly the content that I put out no matter what platform it's on. I just want to help people. But anyway, here's what I would consider for cards that are currently, at the time of recording, $50 or less, that have the potential to 10x, not counting the grading cost. The first thing that comes to mind will be to look at first chrome cards for major stars. Some of these may be rookie cards, but some of them might not be. Either way, first chrome appearance cards in sports cards, or you know, if we're going to go back to sports, first prism or first finest, that has been a thing for a while now, and I've seen this myself carry over into wrestling cards. And I'm not talking necessarily about specific sets, but the names you're targeting. For example, 2006 Heritage Chrome set is the first ever WWE Chrome set produced. The 2014 and 2015 Chrome sets have a bunch of really good rookie cards that are worth looking at. And when I say major stars, I'm talking about top guys, you know, Hogan, Rock, Austin, Flair, etc. But also, you might want to take a look at modern stars. Roman Reigns, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Dean Ambrose, Alexa, Bray Wyatt, etc. Of course, you could also go for some wrestlers in these sets that you personally like. But from strictly a money perspective and hopefully going 10x, in my opinion, this is a good place to start. Now, to add to that, you can sometimes find some of these cards I've mentioned in parallels. Meaning refractors, X-fractors, superfractors. Some sets do have colored variations. Most of the time, these are going to be a lot more expensive. But every now and then, you can kind of swoop in and get some good deals. The next thing I would look at are parallels and serial number cards of top stars and legends. Kind of mentioned that before, but going into it a little bit more here. Same concept, but this time looking for limited number parallel cards instead of just the base cards or the refractors. Reason being is that there's a built-in scarcity of these. With only so many printed of each, these types of cards are still flying under many people's radars, especially the ones that we don't see talked about very much. Most people know the ones in the finest and chrome sets, but there are also other Topps WWE and Leaf sets and other wrestling cards that have numbered parallel cards that people just aren't really looking at. So once again, something to think about. Another thing you could look at are the 82-83 Wrestling All-Stars and the 98-99 WCW autographs. Believe it or not, as popular as both of these sets have become, you can still find many of these cards raw for $50 or less. Regardless of the names, as iconic as these sets are, I think you could potentially 10x your money down the road on practically any of these. And lastly, I want to mention prospecting. I did a whole video a while back on my YouTube channel. Again, go check out the channel and subscribe about this very topic. So when you're done listening to this show, make sure to go check out that video. Link in the show notes. But this is one of those things that basically you pick out a rookie or an up-and-comer in whatever wrestling organization it is. You buy up a bunch of their rookie cards, regardless of the set, for maybe a dollar, two dollars, maybe a little bit more if you're getting into the parallel stuff, refractors. But these are where you can really 10x your money fairly easily, fairly fast. But this is also where you could potentially lose the most money. Legends and top stars of wrestling aren't going anywhere, but we all know how the wrestling business goes with young talent. They could be on the top of the Raw roster one day, and they could be working indies at the Legion Hall the next. So use some caution with this method, but you really can make some gains with it if you pick the right wrestlers. 
I do want to throw one more in there just as a bonus. Cards from the 1995 WCW main event set from Cards with a Z. Edgy, remember? There are so many big cards in that set that could be had for next to nothing. I did a multi-part video series on the entire set. Again, after this show, head over to my YouTube channel and check out that whole playlist. But first you have what many people consider to be a Steve Austin rookie card in this. You have the first WCW cards of Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, which was a huge deal at the time. You also have rookie cards of Booker T and Eric Bischoff, and there's some really cool pay-per-view posters in card form that are in this set. Just kind of a really cool insert kind of thing. It wasn't. It was more of a subset than it was an insert, but definitely check out those pay-per-view poster cards. At Joypad Lad Shop on Twitter, shout out once again Joypad Lad for another question. Do you keep all the cheap stuff just in pocket pages and the more rare stuff in top loaders or cases, specifically for player collecting? Great question here. So here's my setup. Let's start with my player collections. So my player collection PCs consist of Shaquille O'Neal, Dennis Rodman, Karrion Cross, and in Pokemon, all of the evolutions of Machamp. So Machamp, Machoke, Machop. All of those go in binders and are arranged by releases to the best of my ability. For these sets, I'm more of a completist, so I want them organized nicely in the binders. I think binders are the best way to display complete sets or player collections. I know some say binders can damage the cards over time, but storing and displaying my player collections was how I grew up in the hobby. So this was how I'm going to continue that tradition going forward. It's actually very nostalgic to do it this way. And just one last note as far as the conditions go with the binders and the player collections. I'm not really looking to sell any of my player collections. Even if they're rare or valuable, I actually prefer non-graded cards for these player collections. So while I'm still careful with my cards and binders, I'm just not as concerned about the conditions overall. Plus, if you're buying raw cards and you don't care as much about the condition, you can get a lot of really good deals. As far as my graded cards go, they are all stored in a specifically designed slab box, which can be found at most LCSs or on eBay. Then I have all of my stuff that's going to grading in a three-row box. All of those are in top loaders and or card savers. After that, I have all of the rest of my cards, which are all mainly eBay store inventory, organized by year, sport, brand, etc. And those are all put into four-row boxes. Graded cards for sale have their own box that I keep them in. $5 cards and up have penny sleeves and top loaders there in their own section. And for the eBay store inventory, the 99 cent cards, most of those are all raw. I don't even penny sleeve those until they sell and then I will put them in a penny sleeve before shipping them out. Now as far as storing all of those cards, I have a file cabinet that I got for free from a relative that was just going to get thrown away so that's been very helpful. Some of the stuff goes in there. The rest of the binders and boxes actually store very nicely on these modular cube shelving that I bought off Amazon. I actually bought them all for my vinyl collection, but I've been slowly selling off a lot of my vinyl collection and hopefully eventually we'll have none of it, trying to sell all of that stuff, taking that money, putting it back into cards. And in previous videos on my YouTube channel or on these podcasts, you may have heard me say that you know, I originally didn't collect a lot of certain things or didn't want a lot of certain cards because I don't want to turn into a hoarder. I don't want these cards just taking over the house or taking over the rooms. Well, I've managed to still have all of this stuff that I've spoke about and have it organized 
and I've stored it nicely, it hasn't taken over my room or the house yet. So it is possible to have a lot of really cool stuff that you care about or that you have enough inventory to run an online store and still not have that place just being ran over like you're on an episode of Hoarders. You just have to give it some forethought and put in some work on the organization. I know I jumped around a little bit there, but I uh, hope that answered your question. Thanks again to everyone that submitted questions, and thanks to all of you for listening to the show and watching my videos on YouTube. If this show brought you some value today, please subscribe and share this podcast all over social platforms. You can tag me in it, tag a friend. Let's get the wrestling card community bigger and better. Let's get more people in the sports card world collecting. Let's get those lapsed wrestling fans back into collecting wrestling cards. Also, make sure to check out the links in the show notes for my social media accounts, Spotify, Patreon, and other ways that you can help support my content and just keep the shows coming out each and every week. Thanks again for listening. Keep having fun. Keep collecting. Until next time, see ya.